Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Week two in the CFL has come and gone, and I think it's safe to say this is the earliest in the season. Our preseason predictions have gone off the rails, isn't it, Mike? Yeah. Uh, you're talking to somebody that is 0-8 in Pitcom. And I'm 2-6, and six, so we're lucky the powers that be uh, have not fired us, have not automatically pulled our podcast down from all the platforms. Uh, somehow we've been granted another chance to come out and talk as if we know anything about the CFL, and uh, clearly we have no idea what's going to happen week in and week out. Uh, Mike, how was your week? It was busy. It was actually good because I was able to uh, escape the city for a little bit, uh, in the city for a little bit here now, and then uh, heading off on, on uh, some vacation in a bit with some family. Awesome. Some well-deserved vacation for you. I hope you enjoy that. Let's get into talking about the first game of the week, Mike. The BC Lions beating the Calgary Stampeders 15-9 on Thursday night. Uh, a lot of juicy storylines in this game. Uh, the most, probably one of the most notable ones is, again, the quarterback situation for the BC Lions. Uh, Nathan Rourke's named the starter on the depth chart. He's named the starter pregame. He's named the starter so much that TSN's little graphics of the starting offense have Nathan Rourke in them. And Rourke doesn't play a single down. Michael Riley comes in, apparently gets the start. Complete 78.8% of his passes for 342 yards. Picks up a touchdown on the ground as well. Boy, was this uh, was this a bit of a shock. And uh, he comes out there, and this is the same old Michael Riley we're used to, isn't it? It is. And I, I just want to make one thing abundantly clear. A depth chart is the depth chart is the depth chart. Um, lots can happen between when the depth chart comes out. And when practice happens, uh, I know there's this uproar about, you know, single game betting and, you know, BC should, you know, declare a lineup to the best of their intentions. But in the same sense, and I don't mean to play devil's advocate, but they have to do what's best for their franchise. And it's abundantly clear that Mike O'Reilly is better then Nathan Wark, and if your best quarterback is available, much like, you know, your best goalie or your best center in hockey, he's playing that game. Whether you put him, put his name on a piece of paper on the depth chart or not, and, you know, how you put that on the depth chart, I think, could be up for discussion. But you play your strongest lineup when you have your strongest lineup. Well, my, my biggest issue, I think I have a bigger issue with how they, things went this week than how they went the week before. Granted, the week before, we literally didn't know until the coin toss that Riley wasn't going to start and it was going to be Roar. But at least then, you know, he was listed as the starter, but we knew he hadn't been practicing all week. He was questionable. He was going to be a game time decision. Okay, you have a bit of a pause when it comes to that. This week, though, they go and switch it around. They put Rourke first on the depth chart, which to me means you're less confident Riley is going to play. Um, and then, you know, 20 minutes before kickoff, he he comes in, 
turns out he's playing after all, which luckily for a lot of people was still enough time to adjust things fantasy or betting wise. Uh, but certainly you know, a lot of people got burned by that. Um, and the broadcast team got burned by that a little bit because they were also kind of unprepared. Uh, so some of the league's big partners, you know, were unprepared for this situation. And to me, you know, I totally, well, I, I get the situation last week. Okay. Riley's going to be our starting quarterback. He decides he's not ready to go in warm up. To me this week, if you go and declare that your starter is going to be Nathan Rourke, unless he's injured and not ready to go, I feel like he should have to start. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a no-win situation for anybody at this point, right? And well, granted, now you could. I mean, sure, you put a rule in place around that. Okay, Rourke can come out to do one rushing play, and then uh, okay, he's our starter, and then Riley comes in, right? There's there's no real situation that re- regulations they can put in place necessarily to regulate this. But I know it was a frustrating week for a lot of people yet again. Um, but the big storyline here is last week when Riley came in in the second half and he did not look good. He, all of his throws were off. He was barely throwing any spirals. You could tell he was in pain. I don't know how the guy was questionable, didn't practice all week, listed on the back up on the depth chart and threw a flawless game. I mean, all of his passes were sharp. His arm strength wasn't even a question, hitting, you know, a couple of long balls to guys like Lucky Whitehead who had another big game. Like, Riley, it was in perfect Riley form this week, it, it seemed. And to be honest, I wouldn't surprise if he doesn't practice once all season long and still plays at this ability. You know what? And he's one of those players, to be honest with you, but I think he's earned that right. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I mean... Look, he's going to play if he if he can walk somewhat. Riley will try and throw a ball somewhat. Riley will try to be out on the field, and it worked well for the Lions this week. They got a lot going offensively. Uh, they also got a lot going defensively, which uh, was a bit of a shock to me, but maybe it shouldn't have been because in the last six quarters of football, they played some very fine defense after that shaky start against the Riders. And this leads to, you know, the big question now is Calgary starts 0-2 for the first time since 2009, the first time in Bo Levi Mitchell's career. Mitchell throws a career-high four interceptions in this game. Mike, what's wrong with Bo Levi Mitchell? I think to be, and I've got bad before with you on this, I have family members in the house that are from Alberta, uh, including one that was at the football game on uh, on Thursday night, and he literally surmised to me that uh, Bo Levi Mitchell was not himself for a myriad of reasons. Um, it, it's just very interesting, and, you know, we have to think about this logically, right? I mean, no preseason. You could chalk up these first two weeks to now be in the preseason. And the preseason being done uh, now, and this being week one, but are we underselling the value of a guy like Ryan Dinwiddie to Bully by Mitchell? 
I think we, I, I think that's a, a very interesting question because everything's gone right for so long, right? Like this is a weird situation to be in where we're talking about an 0-2 Calgary team. And, you know, the talk everywhere is that the sky is falling. Calgary's time is over because, well, they haven't looked good through two games so far. And, you you know, one of the topics you wanted to bring up, you mentioned last week we should discuss this week, is this an overreaction or is this legit concern for the Stampeders? What do you think? I, I, I want to see what happens on Thursday. I, I don't. Because here's the thing, right? The usual CFL preseason is two weeks long. I want to start drawing my conclusions this week. Because step to the front of the class, if you had Edmonton at 0-2, Calgary at 0-2, Hamilton at 0-2, and you had Winnipeg, you had Montreal, and you had Ottawa, as the unbeaten club <laughs> in the CFL through two weeks. Find me somebody, because I'll tell you, you're lying if you predicted that to happen. I mean, we're not the only ones who have struggled in CFL pick'em this season, Mike. I mean, just look at the experts' picks on CFL.ca as well. A lot of them have not done much better. Uh, if you look at, you know, the betting lines, I think the underdog team has won every single game this season maybe except the bombers beating toronto on uh friday night i think i think that might have been the only case where the underdog team did not pull out the win uh and if you're talking about you know betting lines on points scored uh the under has hit on i think most of the games this season as well so uh it's been a year where the defenses have stepped up maybe more than we thought they would. There, there's been a lot of offensive struggles around the league, and I think Calgary's a team that has as well. Um, this team just does not seem right through two weeks of the season, and it, it's not just Bo Levi Mitchell. He's struggling, sure. You know, he's got one touchdown pass, five interceptions, uh, including, I think, a couple interceptions in the end zone uh, where he's been close to putting TDs up on the board. Um, but the defense, I find, has been struggling, too. I mean, last week they put up over uh, close to 350 yards. McLeod Bethel-Thompson threw for that many against them. This week, Riley did it as well. They seem to be giving up a lot of yards that we don't normally see Calgary's defense giving up. Here's the answer. Thing. Just to talk quickly about the splits, you know, points scored and batting and all that. Do you know what the record is of the home wins versus the way wins just off the top of your head? Of teams win so far this season? Yeah. Uh, give me a couple seconds and I'll find out for you. Well, just tell me off the top of your head. I know the answer. What do you think the split is of home to away teams winning? I'd say it's probably about 50-50, you know? It is 50-50. Two wins each, both weeks. There we go. I hit the nail on the head. Maybe I do deserve another week of podcasting after all. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But the interesting thing is the, the ability of the East to steal wins from the West. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, Calgary's two losses have come, you know, at home, nonetheless. 
the only team to run the table against the Eastern teams to this point are Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Everything else is either a sweep right down the middle or the East has won those games. I'll say this. A lot of my preseason predictions uh, are looking questionable two weeks in. Uh, one of the bigger ones I made was that the, there will not be a West crossover this year. And I, I think we're trending in that direction. We're looking at, you know, a couple teams out West taking a step back this year. We're looking at a couple teams out East taking a step forward this year. I think this is going to be a very even CFL across the board this season. The, the one team I'm not sure about, just to put me touch on it, I know we went to pass the Calgary. Is I'm just not sold on Ottawa despite their effort against Edmonton. They had a bye this week. Uh, I'm looking forward to see how they follow up uh, this week with uh, a game in Saskatchewan. But as far as Calgary, uh, I, I read a stat. I think they played the fewest Eastern Division teams of any uh, team all season long. Um, that was. I believe some variation of that stat was pointed out to me and you on Twitter uh, from a listener. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, that, that, that's also very interesting how, you know, yes, you know, it's not preseason, but, you know, it's 0-2 for Calgary at home. It's a 14-team season. Um, you know, this week's matchup, if we're led to be believed on last week's result, it's not going to be easy for Calgary as they host Montreal. I'm sure we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, and then you're looking at a game in Winnipeg uh, for Calgary. And now all of a sudden, you know, Milt Steedle's comments, I think it was last week where he said Calgary could theoretically start, you know, 0-4. I mean, I floated this stat out to you. Uh, Labor Day could see 3-0 Riders taking on the 4-0 Bombers and then the 0-4 uh, Battle of Alberta. It's just crazy. Um, you know, and I think it's, I saw a stat as well. Uh, it's the first time that Alberta teams have started 0-4 through two weeks in something like 1966. That's nuts. So it, it's just, you know, as much as it is panic in Calgary and panic for pool people and panic for, you know, people that had high expectations for Calgary, we've seen this movie before. Uh, it was a few years ago where they had a really slow start and then they really caught fire. They had a double-digit uh, winning streak or a 9 or 10 game winning streak. Uh, to really propel them. But you know what? To be honest with you, I cannot see a situation where, you know, this team is capable of winning, you know, four, five, six, you know, seven in a row, given number one, the quality of their opponent. And even if Foley by Mitchell somehow writes the ship, and let's be clear, those that are saying in Calgary, Yes, we should bench Foley by Mitchell. You know, we should release Foley by Mitchell. Whoa. I've seen it. I've seen a couple of those out on Twitter. Relax. It's two games. It's a 14-game season. Yes, I believe the Calgary Stampede will still make the playoffs. 
I'll give the Stamps fans that. But let's not release one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL. He's allowed a down couple of games, too. And you know what? If he throws 400, 380 yards and the Stamps win, I think those first two weeks will be rather forgotten. But it's more than just Bowley by Metro and Calgary right now. And it's very interesting how the, I guess, the, uh, not the notion, but the, the rather automatic <laughs> become of Calgary the last 10 years are suddenly on very shaky ground. Shouldn't be surprised by that. That's, it's the way it is. It's football. Absolutely. Let's move on to our second game of the week, the Friday night game. Hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, defeat the Toronto Argonauts 20-7. to um, Lots to talk about from this game as well. Uh, you know, the first game against Hamilton, the Bombers uh, leaned heavily on the run game and Brady Oliveira. This time it was big leaning on the passing game. Uh, Zach Caleros completes 32 of 40 passes, 292 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, which argue, one could argue he only threw because he thought he had a free play uh, it, for a toss to the end zone due to a penalty. That never actually happened. Um, but nonetheless, it's an interception. But I can't remember the last time I've seen a Bombers quarterback throw 40 pass attempts in a single game. Like, this is a different offense this year with Coleros under it. Uh, and, and I like it. I love seeing them lead on the passing game. Well, here's the interesting thing. I think we have to also discuss that number 33 hasn't been in the lineup. Uh, number 20 had a really hard time getting anything going. So it's not at all surprising that there were 40-plus passes given you know, the running game was kind of stuck in the mud uh, for large portions of the last two games. I mean, it was the fourth quarter uh, in week one where Oliveira got a large portion of his yards. But in the first half of, you know, this week and last week, it's not way the Bombers have had a running game necessarily to write home about. Full credit, they didn't necessarily... Abandoned the running game either because you have to remember the Bombers won the time of possession battle pretty handily. I mean, at one point it was like 22 minutes to 15 minutes, uh, even though it was 40 passes. Um, there was a sizable amount of running I uh, involved in the game. I know it was two or three yard gains all the time, but Ryan, I, I know people are gonna harp on this, but if I could just bring this up quickly. Um, this is a game to me. I don't know if you would agree with me, but I'm going to throw this out there. Three years ago, or even two years ago, I think the Bombers would have found a way to lose that football game. Um, I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, when, when Toronto makes the quarterback change, uh, they did the touchdown. You know, they did it to, I think it was 10-7 at the time. Yeah, uh, the, the Bomber offense is kind of struggling for, you know, to, to get their footing. Uh, they had the one touchdown for sure points taken off the board with a Nick Dembski fumble. Um, but I think 
you know, two years ago would have hurt this team. But it's almost like that touchdown to get Toronto uh, back within 10 to 7 kind of did something to the Bomber offense as well. Of this, uh-oh, we better get moving. You know what? There's none of this. You know, I don't want to say it was standing around, but this this mediocre offensive And I don't want to discredit both teams' defense. They were off the charts for a large portion of that game both ways. I think when you did a 10-7 game to the fourth quarter or whatever it was, both defenses are to be commended. But I wanted to see the Bombers play a game like this because this was a game two years ago that I think the Bombers really let slip away. And I was getting text messages from people as soon as the Argos got that touchdown, of, oh boy, this feels like, you know, it's going to slip away. Credit to a Bomber team that has grown up before our eyes, whether it's the great top or whether it's just simple understanding of we've been here before not panicking and just basically continuing on uh, their merry way, getting the, you know, touchdown to kind of reestablish the lead. Um, being really opportunistic with their opportunities. All things considered, was it a pretty game by the Blue Bombers? Absolutely not. But it was a game in my mind that I wanted to see for myself that they could win that defensive struggle. Uh, sorry, that offensive struggle, defensive lock it down because all of a sudden, the people that wanted Richie Hall fired last year when things weren't going very well in that middle stretch, as you recall, are very, very quiet. Um, can, a, can a defensive coordinator win coach of the year? <laughs> Is that a thing that can happen? Because if so, I think Richie Hall's my early season front runner uh, in that regard. You know, it's, it's nice to see, as you mentioned, this type of win for the Bombers because – they, they've been the league leader in rushing yardage per game. Uh, the like the best rushing team in the league for three, four years straight. I think I saw the stat last week. Uh, so they, and you, you look at the majority of their wins, how many of them is heavily influenced by a good run game? Probably the majority. It was nice to I, see. I would say 75 to 80% of the game. Yeah, exactly. And it was nice to see a win that was brought on by the passing game and by the defense. And boy, oh boy, is this Bombers defense something to be bowled through two games. Is it sustainable? Zero chance that this is sustainable across a 14-game season. But you have a team here that has given up an average of six and a half points against per game and an average of less than 300 yards of offense against per game. Uh, through two games so far. Go back even just to 2019 in the regular season. How many times did we see 300-yard passing games alone against this Bombers defense? Way too many. And they've really shut it down. And they really, you know, I have to give them credit. And I have to give a lot of the rookies on this team credit as well. Because, sure, we can talk about your Adam Big Hill, your Willie Jefferson, your your Jackson Jeff coats. I mean, those are the three big pieces that influence a lot of what that defense does, but you have guys in the backfield, new guys that have come in because you no longer have Marcus sales. You don't have Winston Rose, for example, anymore. 
Like Deatric Nichols this week, an interception and a fumble recovery. What a game for him. I, I thought he was probably one of the best players out there this week. And it's great to see these rookie guys coming in, stepping right in, and they're not missing a beat right away. And this is, this so far has been a fantastic defensive performance. And, you know, just to switch over and talk about the Argos sides of things, I went back and forth all week long when setting my fantasy lineup for this week. Bo Levi Mitchell or McLeod Bethel Thompson? Turns out both of them were terrible decisions, as were many this week. Um, I had a real concern that after he put up 350 yards against Calgary last week, that Bethel Thompson was going to come out and do the same against the Bombers this week because last season, I think he averaged 375 yards a game against them. And it looked like, you know, a new unit around him was had a promising season for uh, Bethel Thompson and that he may have stolen the job away from Nick Arbuckle, but he completes 10 of 20 passes only for 70 yards, gets nothing going offensively and is replaced by Arbuckle, who, by the way, was questionable for this game due to injury, comes in in the second half, completes 10 of 19, still not fantastic for 96 yards and an interception. But it looked like the offense got a lot more going when Arbuckle came in in the second half. So what do you think? Do you agree with me here that it's it's crazy that, you know, one week we go from, wow, Arbuckle might not get his starting job to... Arbuckle's got to start next week, right? Yeah, and then what does that say about Calgary? You know, you, you can't... Um, you know, what does that say about the Stabs effort against, against Toronto? Now, I know you can't do the hypothetical switcheroo, but it just makes you wonder. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought there. Well, like Arbuckle didn't have a fantastic game either. I just read you the stats, but I think he was the guy brought in to be the starting quarterback for this offense. And I think Bethel Thompson kind of stepped in, took that opportunity in week one and gave himself a week to start. But in a shortened season, the leash is going to be pretty short. And I, I, I think, especially with a rematch against the same team next week in the mm-hmm. Bombers, like, I think you have to go with the one quarterback who actually got you moving the ball in this game and that's Arbuckle because you you look at what what I mean look at what both quarterbacks did for Toronto this week uh more so Bethel Thompson I think Arbuckle maybe had a couple as well there were a couple times receivers got behind the Bombers defense and Mm -hmm. if the ball hits them they're gone for a touchdown they're gone 80 yards down the field for a touchdown there were some openings there the ball was just overthrown a couple of times. So not an accurate week for the passers in Toronto, and that hurt them. Is that not accurate on the part of the quarterback or just the pressure that the Bombers spent for delivery? Probably a bit of both, right? It was pretty good pressure by the Bombers' defense. They have a heck of a defensive line, but I think some of it was just poorly thrown footballs. Can I – I'm going to make a – Projection here. I know we're two weeks into the season, but I'm beginning to warm up to the theory that the Ardles are a great top contender when it comes to out east. There was a lot of that football team, uh, particularly defensively, that I liked. Um, 
I'll say this. If Ned Darbuckle starts the game from the beginning, I think we're talking about a one-and-one bomber team, and I think we're talking about a two-and-a-wardo team. I really do. I think the Bombers got away with one here this week, and I think they know just as well as we do. A much better effort is required. However, with what the Ardo did last year, uh, or two years ago, pardon me, and seemingly finding ways to lose a lot of games, uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson making a lot of throws, ill-advised at times, um, the Ardo offense, you know, have some pieces that they can work with. Um, the Ardo front four, uh, I watched the game on tape just a little bit. Uh, I don't think they got enough credit for what they did. Uh, three unheralded guys, and then, of course, there's a guy named Charlton Hughes, which everybody should know by now if you're a CFL fan. Um, now, I'm not saying the Ardo did finish, you know, first place, but... I think, you know, the Ardos finishing second in the East Division um, is a very, very realistic possibility. And to me, I think the Ardos play through two weeks has given me some pause as to whether there's going to be a crossover. As much as those East-West games have gone 50-50 compared to, you know, recent years, of course. Again, we're still early. But this is an Ardo team, but I'm so glad the Bombers are done with after next week because I just get the sense if they get any type of consistent quarterbacking to go along with that defense, not to say, you know, but Bethel Thompson was, was uh, terrible, you know, in week one, but consistent quarterbacking that doesn't turn the ball over, that hits the occasional deep receiver, with a defense like that that held the Bombers to 10-7 for a large portion of that football game, I'm taking more positives out of that game for the Ardos than I am, you know, in a normal loss. And I think the entire East Division better be put on notice. One one guy you got to feel for is Juwan Breskison, who goes down with a nasty knee injury late in the game. This is a guy who... In 2019, only played three or four games. I think had three or four touchdowns in that span. Looked like a, maybe a breakout season for him with Calgary. Uh, missed the rest of the season due to injury. It's not looking good here with this injury for him. Uh, I'm hoping it's not season ending. Uh, but with a shortened season, I mean, it certainly didn't look good. Uh, laboring off the field. And I believe he may have gotten carted off after the game, if I'm correct there. So... All the best to Jawan Breskison, and uh, hope, hopefully he can make a good recovery from this. But you hate to see that, especially with a year off in between. I mean, this is a guy that's barely gotten into any football in the last three years. Yeah, to say the, to say the very least, I saw the play on my on the PVR when I when I skimmed the game. Legs aren't meant to be twisted in that direction. I feel so bad for the day. Uh, he is a dynamite receiver. He is one of the top Canadian receivers in my mind when healthy. And there's some guys that unfortunately cannot catch a break in that regard. And, you know, it's not just, okay, an injury here, an injury there. We're talking about serious career-changing injuries 
on now at least two occasions. Yeah. Um, you know what? Credit to the guy. He could have easily said, you know, the CFO, you know, they don't pay as well as the National Football League. It would have been easy for the average person to say, no, you know what? I'm done after this injury. But he came back. He made it go a bit. Um, to have to go through that again. And I know it happened, you know, against the Bombers, and it's a very significant injury, but it's a very unfortunate injury for not just the Ardles, but the CFL, yeah. who, you know, loses yet another dynamic playmaker. Um, you know, when Joan Brustison went healthy, is, I think, the best Canadian receiver, at least top three. He would be in my top three. I'd have to do some serious thinking about who my top would be. But it, it's just unfortunate all, all the way around um, in that regard. And I wish Juwan Brustison all the best. I hope he, I hope it's not as bad as it looks. Um, boy, the CFL needs players like him and others on the field at all times. That's what makes the lead. Well said. Let's move on to our third game of the week. We get to see the Montreal Alouettes in action for the first time in 2021 and a well-rounded performance on all three sides of the ball as they beat the Edmonton Elks 30-13. to uh, The early season struggles, uh, the puzzling struggles for the Elks continue. Uh, Trevor Harris, 19 of 29, 233 yards, only one touchdown late in the game. Uh, did, did, didn't throw any interceptions this week, uh, so he cleaned that up a little bit. But he, again, Mike, you're telling me this high-powered Edmonton offense with so many weapons at its disposal can only put up one touchdown through two weeks of the season? Well, I think we've seen this movie before, and I think it goes back to what we saw with BC two years ago in, in a very different situation. You bring in a lot of high-powered pieces, a lot of, you know, pieces that are expected to perform. Um, it's pieces that need to get used to playing with each other. Um, there are a lot of receivers that I don't, I don't want to say they're big ticket receivers. Um, I mean, week one to me was on Trevor Harris. I mean, they're winning that game. You know, not great. And then he throws the pit sits and he throws another interception. Um, this is a team that seems to be disjointed as a result of not having played much together. Um, but last week, it was, or this week, sorry, it was one of those scenarios of everything that could go wrong, uh, did go wrong. And I had, you know, this expectation of, you know, Montreal's playing their first game in over almost, you know, a year and a half. Uh, I'm expecting some rust, and it makes me wonder what rust, and uh, if anybody forgot who Mario Alford was, oh. uh, they done a very, very quick and dangerous reminder of that. But I don't think this week was on Trevor Harris as much as it was a team loss. You know, I can see the three interceptions being the problem in week one. Here I can point to multiple scenarios of what, what, what went wrong for the elk. And this, to me, it's almost 
it's almost too hard to believe for me because, okay, Edmonton lost two games at home. Calgary lost two games at home. Well, in a 14-game season, that's two out of your seven games at home that are at a loss before you're even, you know, you're bailing out of the boat before the boat even gets moving forward. You know, you're you're taking water in. Mm-hmm. I I want to see, and this to me is the early, early, early game of the week for next week uh, for very, very different reasons. Thursday night's matchup, very, very intriguing. Edmonton at BC. I want to learn a lot from both teams, particularly the visitors. Well, yeah, for Edmonton, it's just like I'm still puzzled just looking at the stat line here. I mean, Darrell Walker, okay, five receptions, 76 yards. We expect that, and I expect him to get that throughout the season. But uh, you look at the other two big names at wide receiver, Armonte Edwards, two catches, eight yards. Greg Ellingson targeted five times, only one catch out of that for one yard. Like, this should be the big three leading the way for the Elks. Now, Mike Jones has five catches for 70. Tavon Smith, who is slated as backup, gets 43 yards. Shy Ross gets 35 and a touchdown. So, so some other guys are at least getting the ball, and they're still putting the passing yards up. Trevor Harris is the league, leading, league leader in passing yardage through two weeks of the season. But the offense isn't getting stuff done. And uh, it, it seems to be due to the passing game because – I got to say, James Wilder Jr. is having a heck of a start to the year. 85 yards on the ground again this week. Didn't get anything in, the, in terms of the passing game, but uh, like he did last week. But Wilder's been great, I've thought, for that offense. It's just they can't get the ball in the end zone, and that's continuing again this week. And, and we have to switch over and give some credit to Montreal's defense because mm-hmm. – after how bad Edmonton struggled against Ottawa last week, I was expecting bounce back game. Trevor Harris, he's going to come out. He's going to throw 350 yards, three touchdowns because in 2019, the Alouettes defense was the worst passing defense in the CFL. And they looked nothing like that in this game. Uh, I, I thought the defense did really well. And I think a large part of that was the increased pressure along the defensive line. If you want to talk about big offseason additions, look no further than Armando Sewell. He picks up a sack. Uh, Nick Usher has five tackles. And, and I thought Antonio Simmons was great as well with two sacks. So that defensive line was getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and they were causing havoc. Yeah. Um, again, one of the most underrated in my mind defenses in uh, the Canadian Football League. And let's be let's be fair. They gave up six points for all intents and purposes. That touchdown Ross got was in what most people refer to as garbage time. But in the most important time in the football game, this is the defense that allowed six points. I did an offense, but I expected to blow everybody out of the water. And maybe, just maybe, we're overreacting because the preseason is now over. But I don't see any semblance of 
you know, the aforementioned teams that we talked about getting out of this very, very easily. And Montreal is to be commended full marks. It's easy to roll over and and not play well after not playing for, you know, the better part of a year and a half. This is a very, very dead effort. And Montreal served notice that, hey, everybody's talking about Hamilton. Everybody's talking about Toronto. You know, everybody's talking about Ottawa week one. I know they had a bye this week. And now it's Montreal saying, hey, don't forget about us. And maybe it's the East Division, but maybe looking at a potential crossover. Hmm. It just makes me wonder. It just makes me wonder. But there's going to come a point, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I think this is going to be a very big week for Montreal because they got a game in Calgary, um, which appear to be right now two teams going in opposite directions uh, in the standings. Very, very intriguing game for me. Um, but again, it's, it's one of those things where, yes, I have Montreal being very, very good uh, this year. And, you know, we were just served a reminder of maybe we really don't know what's going to happen on a week-by-week basis. And maybe the 14-game schedule is a product of, well, games being more intense because there's fewer and fewer of them and you know one loss and two losses a bunch of the teams but haven't won you know they're all facing they're all in divisions where teams are still unbeaten in the case of the west if you're Edmonton you're now two games back of first place you're now two games back of second place you're one game back of third place right now which is Probably going to be the last playoff spot. But if you're Edmonton and you lose again, well, now you're two games back and you're a game behind in the tiebreaker. So the math gets really, really complicated. So Edmonton, you better get this figured out and it starts this week. Otherwise, your season's over before it starts. I really don't see a single flaw in this game for Montreal. Like the passing game, they got a lot done. I don't think Vernon Adams was out of this world necessarily. You know, 61.9 completion percentage, 211 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, But you add, you know, close to 150 yards combined on the ground. William Stanback had 112 himself. Uh, You had the return game you mentioned already. Mario Alfred, a huge day. You had the defense coming up big. Their kicker just did what they needed to do. Uh, you know, David Cote missed or made three of four field goals, missed one from 44. Like, they got things done, all sides of the ball and at every position the Owlets did. And, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that uh, they kind of – they were off in week one and everybody else in the East is drawing the attention and the Owlets are like, hey, don't forget about us. Well, they just decided to come out and steal the entire highlight reel in this game because that Alfred kick return touchdown was beautiful. And my goodness, that touchdown catch by Jake Wynicky was one of the best I've seen. Yeah, and you know what? If you want to talk about it, yeah, there wasn't one positional offense, defense, special teams, but, you know, tip the scale. There was a very even 
uh, a very even team win. And that is why I think the biggest challenge for Montreal is, you know, you don't want to play your best team in week one or week two. My question for them is how do they follow this up against a team that is going to be snarling fire on Friday night and they're going to have to douse the fire pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, Their opposition is going to be showing some desperation. And I would expect uh, Montreal to be kind of... They need to show that this effort wasn't just a fluke. I don't think it was. I think it was a well-balanced offensive, defensive, and special teams game. But the amount of games that have me saying... Well, I need to watch that game because of this, 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 and this. That's happening every week now. And the games are starting to get bigger. And the fans better be coming back to the league because this is what it's going to be all year long. Well, Mike, let's move into our final game of the week. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats at home 30-8. to uh, the Riders get it done. They get it, the big lead, and they hold on to it this time. Uh, zero points allowed in the second half. A dominant game by the Riders. And really a, a, a week of growth, I would say, from last week. Because, you know, the Riders are 2-0 and to start the season. But last week, what did we talk about the entire podcast? Like the segment we were talking about, the Riders, was not how great they were. It was how they almost blew it last week in that game against BC. They were up 30 mm-hmm. points in the first half. They allowed BC to come all the way back. They won by like four. The big topic last week for the Riders was they just didn't run the ball in the second half at all. They ran the ball once with one minute left. It was the only rushing play they ran against BC in week one in the second half. This week, they learned their lesson. William Powell, 18 carries, 89 yards. I believe I counted earlier 13 carries, uh, 12 for him, one for Fajardo in the fourth quarter alone. So they didn't go to Powell much in the first half again. They were pass heavy in the first half, but the riders learned from last week that once you have the lead, this is how you sit on it. And that's what, this is what happens when you do that. Yeah. The bigger question to me is what's going on in Hamilton. I, I did not have to, I did not expect that kind of effort against the Bombers. I thought 100% they're going to bounce back. But this, to me, looks like a team that doesn't even resemble what they had two years ago. Maybe it's only because it's two weeks and two tough road games. But I'm not feeling very good about those efforts if I'm a fan in Hamilton right now. No, certainly not. I mean, this is a Hamilton team that a lot of people were predicting could possibly go 14-0 and this season or darn close to that. Uh, they seemed on paper to be set up all in that way. Granted, I, I, I still think the injuries are hurting them a lot, especially on offense. Uh, now, they did get Chris Van Zyl back on the offensive line, uh, but that wide receiver... Still no Devere Posey, still no Braylon Addison. Marcus Tucker was out this week as well. They didn't have Jalen Marshall in the lineup. Like your wide receiver group, I looked at it this week. Brandon Banks, Jalen Acklin, you expect those two to be the top two. After that, your next top receiver is David Unger, the third, with 11 career starts. And then two rookies playing their first CFL games in Tim White and Pappy White. 
So there's not a lot of options there, mainstays in that offense that we're used to seeing for the Ticats. And I, I think they struggled. And even with Chris Van Zyl back, I think this offensive line is struggling a bit for Hamilton because we saw Jeremiah Mazzoli on the ground over and over and over again. I mean, six sacks by that Riders defense. Like, that shouldn't be happening, no? Well, it shouldn't, but it did. And it's it's going to be a problem. But quickly, if I might add, everybody's talking about Hamilton's injuries. The injuries are a lead white thing. The bomber defense was decimated that they've seen it in many, many years. Yes, I mean, Willie Jefferson. I mean, Willie Jefferson, Justin Jeffold, they were serious question marks to even play this week. I understand the notion of injuries, and, you know, Hamilton has a lot of injuries. But everybody's got a lot of injuries, and you've got to make the best of what you have. I guess I'm not really surprised that they lost. The first two games, I expected Allen to split the first two games. But I just saw something that said, uh-oh. You know what I mean? Like, I- I'm okay with Hamilton being 0-2 and 1-1 and or 1-1, and no matter what. It's just the way it's happened, but has the alarm bells going off in my head of, do we have a bigger problem here? Or do we just wait for everybody to get healthy? But the bigger question is, in a 14-game season, you don't have a lot of time to wait. We've seen there's an undefeated Ottawa team. Yes, it's only one game. There's an undefeated Montreal team. Yes, it's only one game. Maybe Hamilton just isn't what we thought they were. And the same could be said for even a team like Winnipeg. Yes, it is. It's two home wins. Wait till the team goes on the road. Wait till Hamilton comes back home. Oh, yeah, they got an Ardo team waiting for them on Labor Day. Hmm. You know, it just makes me wonder, what do we know? And the answer to two weeks is quite simply, not a lot. <laughs> because all of those preconceived notions of what we thought we knew, Hamilton, Saskatchewan, was it the discussion about Saskatchewan's offensive line? Well, that's gotten very, very quiet because they've gotten some very good performances from unheralded pieces of their team, uh, particularly younger offensive linemen, which have made that basically an afterthought. Fasten your seatbelts because this roller coaster is just getting going. It's interesting that Hamilton's two losses, I mean, they put up, what, six points against the Bombers, eight against the Riders, so 14 points for this team this, through two weeks is certainly not what we expected to see. The offense on the... In a lead that drives and encourages offense, that's the other part of it. Yeah. I mean, the league-wide offense is down this season. Uh, Still nothing from Sean Thomas Erlington in the rushing game either. Six carries for 20 yards. What do you make of the defense for Hamilton? Is this the same thing we talked about last week where the defense was doing pretty good? I mean, first quarter, at least, they held the riders off the board. 
the Riders got a lot of points off of turnovers in this one. Is it another case of the defense for Hamilton's legit, but they just, they get tired because it appears to me to be the same situation as last week where a strong start to the game. The other team's not really rushing the ball much against them, but as the game goes on, now Saskatchewan only had the ball for an extra three minutes, but they ran the ball down Hamilton's throat in that fourth quarter. And I think the defense just couldn't keep up at that point. I mean, you look at it. What did the score rate before halftime? 10-8 Saskatchewan? Uh, it was 10-8 at one point, uh, late second quarter. And then the uh, Riders seven, got that touchdown there off the turnover. Yeah, so it was 17-8, uh, but it was 10-8 there for a time. Somebody on that defense has got to look and say, can somebody score some points for that? I'm not saying there's finger pointing going on. But your idea that you just brought up, I think, is a very valid one. Because what did the Bombers do in the fourth quarter last week when Hamilton was all defense was all tired out? Brady Oliveira ran the ball. Saskatchewan took the play out of Winnipeg's playbook and ran the ball down the throats of Hamilton. And what could they do about it? Not a whole lot. Uh, nor did there need to be a whole lot done because, the, you know, the horse had kind of left the barn. I just want to see what happens when Hamilton gets healthy. The only concern I have with that is, is it going to be quick enough? Is it going to happen soon enough? Because four games into a 14-game season has a whole lot different of an approach then four games into an 18-game season, and everybody being wired to go just as much as you are. There was intensity in these games that I didn't think we'd see uh, quite so early on. Well, the losses better not pile up for too much longer. Otherwise, you're going to be in some big, big trouble. And maybe it's just as simple as getting healthy. I, I don't know. But that Hamilton offense to me, if you would have said that they would have one touchdown on a game opening drive against the Bombers and nothing the rest of the game and not much of anything against Saskatchewan offensively, about the game but saw Dean Evans uh, get into the football game and not exactly great results. You know, questions have to be asked, and maybe we'll look back on these two games and say not terrible because you look at who the two unbeaten teams are out west, they're the two teams that Hamilton has played. And if I could quickly touch on Saskatchewan, yes, they won the game, but there were a lot of dumb penalties. Offside, lining up offside. Um, You know, offside uh, one one drive I think had four offsides um, well this game took forever I mean there were penalties in every second play it was just not a clean football game and I think if you're the Riders and I think I guess the same could be said for the Bombers too but if you're going to play a team like Winnipeg who doesn't take a lot of penalties in their own right I know they but they did take some miss week, and Michael Shea won't like that. Um, 
But if you play a team like Winnipeg and you take the amount of penalties that you did, it's not going to end well. The Bombers typically like to feast on teams that take a lot of penalties. So that's what I just think they need to work on lining up properly. Um, 20, 20 penalties for 187 yards for the Riders. That's absurd. Uh, and Hamilton? A lot of those, a lot of those are preventable. It's a handoff side on three or four of them. It's and, fundamental football. You can't, no matter what the score is, allow bad habits to creep into your team. It does not going to help you. And Hamilton had eight penalties for 103 yards. So 28 penalties, 290 yards combined between these two teams in a game that went on much longer than it necessarily should have. Um, kudos to the Riders. They get it done. We talked, you know, maybe conditioning's an issue last week. I don't know if they were running, uh, you know, extra sprints in practice this week to prepare for it, but they played all the way through. I thought the real turning point in this game to me, I think this was all on the same driver. It was very close together in the third quarter. Uh, you know, Riders punt returner goes and uh, fumbles football. Hamilton recovers it. Uh, shortly thereafter, two consecutive sacks by the Riders defense on Jeremiah yeah. Mazzoli. I, I thought that was, you know, at that point, it's an 18-8 game, I believe, or 17-8 game. Uh, it's still a close game at that point. Uh, that just seemed to break the spirit of, of Hamilton's offense there. Uh, that was a real opportunity to get back into it. And full respect to the Riders' defense. I mean, that defensive line, a uh, dynamic duo of A.C. Leonard and Jonathan Woodard, uh, five sacks combined and a fumble forced and recovered between the two of them. Uh, you can't ask for much of a better day from your defense. And I think I gave this team a bit of a hard time in the preseason, I picked the Riders to finish last in a very tight West. I thought their defense was going to take a step back after missing so many pieces. And much like the offense, more guys have stepped up and the Riders are 2-0 and and seem to be one of the top teams early in the season. I know it's only two weeks, but I would put the Riders and the Bombers and the Alouettes, my three top teams in the league, through the first three weeks. Real quick, Mike, before we move on, question for you. Jeremiah Mazzoli or Dane Evans, who gets to start next week? Jeremiah Mazzoli. He hasn't I, had a lot of help around him. Um, you know, if he gets one or two game-breaking plays, I think both games turn. Um, I didn't like what I saw from Dane Evans in the game either. Um, Hamilton just needs to get healthy, but I've been – it's an interesting question, but I think to stay with Jeremiah Mazzoli, I, I don't think I don't think we're at quarterback controversy situation yet. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree with you. I, I think Mazzoli's the guy going forward. I mean, week one, a lot of his passes were just dropped by his receivers. So, like you said, a couple plays go a different way. So we'll see where the tie cats go for week three, but I would expect at this point at least uh, it to be Mazzoli at the starting helm. Let's yeah, get the, in. Uh, Hamilton actually has the bye this week. They're getting ready for a game in Montreal uh, week from Friday. So I'm sure that will be a discussion topic for the next two weeks, and people will be watching practices intently. Let's get on to talking about fantasy and pick em and all that fun stuff. Uh, the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League 
Uh, I picked up another win this week, although it, it it's one of those wins where it feels a little gross. You're just happy at the end of the day you're in the win column. Uh, a rough week all around for everybody in fantasy football. A uh, 61.7 point week only for me was just enough to squeak out a win over uh, Mike from Bodsky Wee Wee. Uh, so I proved to 2-0 on the season. I'm happy about that. Uh, but looking for a stronger week, obviously, next week as I take on uh, Travis Curra from the 2 and Out CFL podcast. Uh, so make sure you check out both uh, Podsky Wee Wee and the 2 and Out CFL podcast, as well as all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. In our little fantasy league between Mike and I, you heard us do our fantasy draft last or a couple weeks ago. Uh, the season's underway. Uh, we made a couple of trades coming into this week. Uh, I had dropped Lewis Ward and picked up Sean White because Ward was on a bye week and I could see uh, Edmonton kicking a lot of field goals again. A uh, couple moves Mike made as well, dropping Johnny Augustine, who hasn't gotten to the lineup yet, picking up BJ Cunningham, who had a nice week for Montreal, and also dropping Nick Arbuckle and picking up Vernon Adams Jr., our week two lineups, I went with Jeremiah Mazzoli at quarterback. Uh, not a great option there. Uh, William Powell and Kadeem Carey and John White at running back, a guy I was not looking to put in there at running back, but uh, I had no other options with Andrew Harris still out, Shaq Cooper still out, and Tim Flanders on a bye week. John White was my only other running back. I wasn't expecting a big game against the Bombers and uh, put up over 100 yards and had the best running back game of the week with 20.9. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I'm lucky how that played out. Uh, Brandon Banks, Kamar Jordan, Herdy Mayala, uh, and Darrell Walker is my wide receivers. Uh, Winnipeg's defense and Sean White at kicker for 108.5 points. Mike had Bo Levi Mitchell at quarterback with a 3.6 points. Uh, William Stanback, Brady Oliveira, James Wilder Jr. at running back, Greg Owenson, Kenny Lawler with 20.7, Shaq Evans and Braden Lenius at wide receiver, the Ticats defense and Rene Paradis uh, for 77.3 points. So I beat Mike by about 30 this week which puts me ahead in the total overall standings, 229.4 to 209.28. Mike, what do you think about this week in CFL Fantasy? Yeah, it's funny, right? You have a dead week and that's a mediocre week. You had a mediocre week turned into a dead week. And I think that's just going to be the ebbs and flows of the season. But no two weeks, then it will be the same. Yeah, and like I said, a down week for everyone, I mean, I was crunching some numbers today. Uh, only a couple players actually hit over 20 points this week. I think like five, maybe. And I mean, some of the top quarterbacks in the league, uh, Bowie by Mitchell, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Trevor Harris, uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson, all struggling greatly. And arguably, funny enough, the second best quarterback of the week uh, happened to be uh, Michael Riley, who nobody knew was starting until 20 minutes before the game. So uh, it was a weird week of CFL fantasy. I will be talking more about that on the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix over on YouTube throughout this next week. Uh, so make sure you check that out as well. But uh, let's get into making incorrect picks for week number three, Mike. Let's keep the trend going. Uh, as you mentioned, an 0-8 start to the year for yourself. I am 2-6 and, and have only picked the Bombers correctly. 
I, I feel like I, it's now has to be my mission to only pick bomber games right the rest of the year. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Let's try to get back into the actual win column here. Week three starts off with what you claim is the game of the week. The BC Lions hosting the Edmonton Elks pick trend is 70% in favor of BC, uh, which I think is pretty flipped around from what people would have thought preseason. What do you make of this matchup? Who are you taking? It's the emotion of BC coming home off of a big win with their quarterback back behind center and appearing to be healthy. All things considered, the Elks have some questions to answer. Perhaps a game away from the British Commonwealth Stadium will do that. I think the Lions win this one by 13 points. Uh, just on the backs of what I think has been a fairly successful uh, defense. And I think Mike Ry- Michael Riley has a little bit more to work with offensively at this point. And... Unless your name is Sean White in Edmonton, uh, your special teams hasn't been very good either. Lots of questions in Edmonton, which is kind of ironic because I picked them to win the West, as I recall. Just goes to show how much I know. But I'm picking uh, BC to win at home. So should I go with the Elks then, uh, assuming your streak is going to continue, or should I go with BC and we maybe we'll both be right, but we'll probably both be wrong. I think I got to go with the Lions, though. I am scared to go in Edmonton's direction after the last two weeks. They burned me twice. I thought this was going to be a very good team. They haven't gotten anything going offensively. Um, and like you said, there's some other holes there as well. I will say I'm not sold on BC yet. I'm still a little skeptical on that defense. I know they've had a good last six quarters, uh, but what Saskatchewan did to them early on in that first game uh, scares me a bit. They're a young team on the D-line. I'm a little skeptical on BC, but I I have to go with them over, over the Elks this week to me. Uh, getting into our second game of the week, uh, Calgary at home once again, hosting the Montreal Alouettes. As you mentioned, two teams going in opposite directions. Oddly enough, pick trend 52% in favor of Calgary. I think this is just everybody's thinking that, well, Calgary can't possibly drop three in a row. Uh, I'll go first here, and I'll say they do. I, I, I liked what Montreal put up last week. I feel like Montreal has always been a kryptonite team for the Stampeders. They seem to always struggle against the Alouettes. Uh, I love what Vernon Adams Jr. is doing with that offense. And I think Bo's struggling a bit right now. So expecting a bit of a bounce back game from him, but I'm taking the Alouettes. Yeah, I I can't disagree with very much of what you said. I think Rod Bottom is going to suck for Calgary. I think it takes one one more week to get there. I don't know what Rod Bottom is for the team because seemingly I thought Rod Bottom was losing two in a row at home. Um, they have not looked good. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Calgary for a third straight loss at home? Yeah, it's happening. And I think Montreal is going to pull one out. Uh, Montreal is going to be 2-0. and oh. Uh, by the end of the game on Friday. Getting into our Saturday doubleheader, it kicks off with the rematch from this past Friday night, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers heading on the road for the first time this year to take on the Toronto Argonauts. 
81% in favor of the Bombers. I think we all know where you're going here, Mike, uh, given your typical pick history when it involves Winnipeg. Uh, but who are you taking this week? Yeah, you know what? It's the bat-to-bat. It's the home-and-home. Home. It's the same adage. Most of them wind up being split. I would dare say that if I didn't have this reverse thing going on with the Blue Bombers, I'd be like, I'd still pick Toronto. It's their home opener. I hope we did a big crowd. And I think uh, Arbuckle will inject some life into a Argo team, but I think it's going to be better. And it's up to the Grey Cup champs to match that level. If not, it's going to be a painful loss coming back home to play Calgary. I think this will be a close game. And generally when there is a home-and-home series, I'm tempted to take the split as well. But I think I'm actually going with the Bombers to sweep here. I I like everything I've seen from them so far. And yes, I think Arbuckle will inject some life into that Toronto offense a little bit. But I'm also not sold on John White repeating his 110-yard and a touchdown performance in the run game against the Bombers defense that uh, only averaged 65 yards on the ground against the game last season and did so very well against Hamilton in week one. I think uh, the, the level of play they've been at is probably a little bit unsustainable. I'm, I'm expecting this one to maybe be a little more high scoring, but I, I like the Bombers and the way they've been playing on all three sides of the ball so far this season. And I think I have to take them in a close win against the Argos in week number three. Getting into our final game of the week, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at home against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Pick trend 92% in favor of the Riders. And I'm going to have to agree. I know Ottawa won that first game, but they won that game narrowly. And if their defense doesn't come up with a game of a lifetime, they don't win that game against the struggling Edmonton team. We've seen the riders put up more points than anybody. And it hasn't been close uh, so far through two weeks. I, I think this is going to be Ottawa's defense. will keep them in this as much as they can. And hopefully their offense is a bit better than the week before. Uh, but I got to go with the riders to take this one at home. It's going to be ugly, right? It's going to be ugly. But I'm picking the Riders to win by less than a touchdown for all those reasons you just stated. All right. Those are our picks for week number three. Will we get uh, any of them right? Stay tuned, uh, hopefully. I'd like to start getting some of these right. Uh, I'm, I'm at negative points right now in the CFL Pick'em website, Mike. 5,348th place at a negative 134 points. Uh, quite the start to the year, all right. It's been an interesting two weeks of the CFL, and th- week number three should be interesting as well. Uh, before I close things out, Mike, anything you want to plug that uh, you got going on these days? Well, I, I, I'm not necessarily a plug, but I'm watching my Twitter account as we're recording this show, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Rod Peterson. And uh, Darren DuPont for taking the Rod Peterson show to Winnipeg for their show on Friday. Uh, this would have been this last Friday here before the Argo game. We were at the game. And I'm looking at Rod Peterson's Twitter account as we're recording this. And there's a picture of Rod Peterson. Yes, the former voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. 
wearing a Blue Bombers, Winnipeg Blue Bomber home oh, jersey. Boy. And he is, let's just say, not getting very nice things said about him uh, from Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans. So either nature is healing or <laughs> nature is kind of a little bit cray cray this week. Um, I just want to say, Rod, I'm proud of you for wearing that Blue Bomber jersey as much as it agonizes you. And keep up the great work uh, with your show. Uh, Seemingly making a lot of friends these days with people in Winnipeg. So, yeah. You know, I just thought I'd bring that up. I was pretty interesting. uh, Rod wearing that uh, Blue Bomber jersey. Uh, It's good. It's good, but uh, he can now be on both sides of the rivalry uh, in his position, having friends in Winnipeg and obviously friends in Saskatchewan. So just a few thought things couldn't have gotten a little bit more crazy on Twitter. (laughs) Twitter is a crazy place. Uh, That never changes despite everything else in the world that does. Uh, This will not be the last episode this week of this podcast, Uh, Mike. We will have a bonus episode coming out probably on Thursday. Uh, Wednesday night, I will be sitting down with uh, Toronto Argos fan, historian, and author, Paul Woods, uh, who will be telling us all about his new book coming out soon called The Year of the Rocket, John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, A Crooked Tycoon, and the Craziest Season in Football History. Uh, Paul will join me uh, Wednesday night to chat all about that. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into talking a bit about the Argos currently in their season right now as well. So uh, look forward to that coming out in your podcast feeds later this week. Uh, Check out all the other great shows around the Canadian football podcast network at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. Uh, you can check out anything CFL fantasy related. I'll be covering over at Canadian football fantasy fix on YouTube. I should have a couple videos out this week for that, hopefully. And, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. You can follow Mike at Mike Garrell. I'm at Cooper Trooper 42 and, uh, whichever podcast platform you're listening to this on, make sure you, uh, share the show, give us a like, give us a comment, give us a review, tell us what you liked, what you didn't. Uh, and we'll be back again, uh, with a bonus episode later this week. And then of course, uh, Mike and I will be back again next week to recap week number three in the CFL for Michael Garrell. I'm Ryan Coop saying, thank you for listening. Enjoy week number three, and we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.